The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, first I would like to bow to you for your practice today. Uh, Really beautiful to be with you and sit together to meet uh, some of you in the, in the practice discussions. Um, I almost rang the bell early, but then I thought, I've got to give you your full 16 hours, or <laughs> give you money's worth. <laughs> um. In the morning, I uh, mentioned this line about awareness leaving everything uh, just as it is. Awareness leaving everything uh, just as it found it. And it it reminds me, uh, you know, another, maybe another way of saying the same thing was at the 50th anniversary of the Berkeley Zen Center, they made up these t-shirts that said, um, accomplishing nothing for 50 years. (laughs) 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 Uh, So, you know, and yet, you know, and yet something, something happens, something Something is uh, expressed through this simple um, but beautiful practice of uh, touching what is, meeting what is with a heart, with a mind that is open. Um, And I tried to, throughout the day, I tried to keep the the sitting's pretty quiet, you know, kind of the, just to, just to let the silence really um, be the teacher. You know, and there's something so pure about that, which I love about this practice, is that everything we need is here. Everything we need is here. Everything we need is uh, offered to us in each moment. You know, that's the whole idea behind this, just as it is. Um, We don't have to do some Olympian acrobatics to to notice suffering, to notice impermanence, to notice the selfless nature of things. These are are offered up to us in each moment. so I wanted to just say a few words about this uh, third gate. Um, you know, we talked about uh, suffering, dukkha, um, impermanence, anicca. And this third gate, is, the Pali word is anatta. Atta is self. And so a Anatta is um, 
sometimes translated as no self or not self or the selfless nature of things. And it's a little bit of a of an abstract idea, but my understanding is that it's not saying that there isn't a self, but it's suggesting that um, the self is not fixed. It's not limited by anything. It's it itself because of because of impermanence is changing, you know. So maybe we could say that who and what we are is um, identical to the moment, you know. Um, and in each moment, there's a self, you know. In each m- moment, the shape of self is shifting and changing. Um, the Tibetan teacher, Kalu Rinpoche, uh, I think it's Kalu Rinpoche who said, um, wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Love tells me I'm everything. Between these two rivers, my life flows. Wisdom tells me I'm nothing. Love tells me I'm everything. Between these two, my, my life flows. Maybe we could say myself flows. You know, so, or maybe another way of, of thinking about it is um, a few words I like to approach this are interbeing and interconnectedness. You know, to say there is no self sounds a little, you know, it has one, one, one feeling to it. But to say, um, uh, the, the gate of selflessness is the gate of interconnection, interconnectedness and interbeing. Um, to me, that means that um, even though, yes, of course, we're individuals and we have our own experience, to fully enter this gate, to fully uh, pass through the gate of selflessness um, means that we realize our interconnection, that who I am includes you. Who I am includes all beings, includes this planet, includes everything. Um, there's, a, there's a Zen or Mahayana teaching that says, um, the whole universe is my true body. The whole universe is my true body. And I saw a banner, you know, there was the big climate uh, march yesterday. I saw, and there was a big Dharma contingent, and I saw a banner that said, the whole earth is my true body. And so I think to pass in through, into the gate, pass through the gate of selflessness, um, it's, it's a kind of non-separation. It's, you know, part of the pain of the self, according to the Dharma teachings, is that um, when I'm too attached to myself, to my ego, to myself, to my individuality, um, it separates me from others, you know, and it causes me to kind of see the world 
according to me versus you, us versus them. And I got to kind of be like a squirrel and get all my acorns and (laughs) bury them and hide them from you. And, you know, um, so, um, And so the pain of that separateness. Um, and so to, so to enter the gate of selflessness, I think, is, is an understanding and a practice of non-separation. What is it to fully, um, you know, just what we've been doing, be one with our experience. The, the, the way to end suffering, the way to end our suffering is to become one with it, you know. Um, then there may be suffering, but there's no separate me who suffers, you know. It, it, it's just, dis- like I was saying, it just, it just disappears into our life. Um, so, So, so to enter the gate of selflessness, I would suggest it's a it's a practice of non-separation and um, non-doing in a way. Um, you know, it's like a radical letting things be. Um, because when we when we have some idea and when we do something and want to do something. It, it almost inevitably creates a self. It creates a self. So, like, you know, so I'm going to help you. You know, and if I have this idea that I'm going to help you, even though it's beautiful, um, there's still a me who's helping you, and there's this separation. But when there's just this this helping, just this giving, without any idea, it's like the most natural thing. So one of the one of the illustrations of this is the way a parent may um, notice that their child sleeping next to them has kicked the blanket off, you know. And, you know, I, I, we still co-sleep, so I, I have this experience a lot of my kids, you know, have kind of, you know, some point in the night I wake up and, one is, you know, horizontal like this. One is hanging off the bed like this. And it's like second nature. It's like, okay, just, you know, just move them. Just fix the pillow. Just pull up the blanket. It's not because I get credit for it. Somebody's watching me. It's not, I don't have to think about it. And It's, you know, it's this natural expression of a non-separation of... Um, uh, of our interbeing, you know, our interconnection. And um, maybe we could say that the result of this, the, the outcome of this, the, the fruit of this practice of, of entering this gate of, of not-self is compassion. You know, we... we um, we have this understanding that practice isn't something that just happens up here. I'm in my private world. I'm having my personal experience. I'm, you know, did I get it? Did I not? Am I close? 
what is it <laughs> again that I'm supposed to be doing? <laughs> um, you know, it's it's one sign of maturity in practice to be become more settled, to become more calm, to become more concentrated. That's great. That's beautiful. But I think if you want to make a Dharma teacher, especially, you know, our elders, the masters who we are so fortunate enough to have in, in, in this area. Um, if you want to make them happy, um, well, that's a little bit of a strange way of, of putting it, but um, what I think even more so than going to a teacher and saying, I had this great insight, is to go to a teacher and um, demonstrate that our understanding of practice includes everyone. You know, so it's not so much about what am I going to get out of this? And did I get it or not? It's about taking care of, just like what we did, taking care of this place, serving food to each other, cleaning up, showing up. Um, that's this gate, going to this gate of interbeing, that um, who and what I am includes you, includes all of us. It's, you know, so at a certain point in our practice, we're not so, you know, personal accomplishment um, is the, the energy for personal accomplishment maybe is um, superseded by this understanding that we're all in it together and to take care of this practice for all of us. You know, so... And the fruit of it is this our connectedness to each other, our compassion, our care, um, relationship. Um, so, these were the these were the three gates that I had in mind when I read this poem. But Basho, the, the poet, he talks about four gates. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know what, it, what it's supposed to mean. But I would suggest that the fourth gate is, um, is actually goes back to this idea that we talked about in the, you know... Uh, Sonomama, just as it is. And um, sometimes in Dharma practice, they talk about the gateless gate, that the true gate is the gateless gate, or it's the gateless barrier. Um, and I, I'm not ex- exactly sure what this means, but I think, or I, you know, we, maybe it's for each of us to to um, sit with, what is the gateless gate? What is the gate that has no, there's no barrier, there's no door. It's wide open. Um, 
And what I would say is this is the true gate of the Dharma, that it's always here, it's always available. There's, there's no, um, there's an, you know, each moment is a gate. Each moment is um, calling to us. And, um, and the other way I like to think about this gateless gate is that um, we're already inside the gate. All of us are in, inside the gate. Um, we've never been apart from the Dharma. We can't be apart from the Dharma. Um, it's, who, it's what we are. It's who we are. And, you know, with that kind of understanding, that kind of faith, that kind of trust, um, we can sit, we can be in the middle of our experience, in the middle of our life, and trust that life is going to offer us what we need. Um, the other, the other um, reflection, or, or what I like about this metaphor of the gate, is that the gate is the way in, but it's also the way out. You know? And with an open gate, we, we go in, we enter the truth, we enter what's real, we enter the Dharma. And then we're also, it's the gate out into, into what? Well, you know, into our life, into the world, into bringing what we've, what we've done here today, what we've learned, what we've discovered, um, uh, and sharing that. With, with the world. You know, this is a world that, um, you know, there, there's so much suffering, there's so much heartache, heartbreak, um, that um, what a gift to be able to offer um, ourselves as, as, you know, as as someone who is is willing to um, be still, you know, is willing to meet uh, difficulties that are, arise with love, with acceptance, with this quality of surrendering to what's true, and as someone with compassion. You know, and these these are gifts that we can take and and bring into the world. And um, the more I th- I believe that the more we know ourselves, the more we connect to ourselves, um, the more we can understand others. You know, we're really not different. We're not separate. Of course, we have our peculiarities <laughs> and our. Um, characteristic ways of making problems for ourselves. Um, But they follow a kind of pattern. And if we understand our own pattern and our own nature, then we can see the Dharma in others. We can see the Buddha nature in others. And we can can speak to each other's goodness. Um, And I think this is something that this world this world this world needs so um, 
I did think, you know, I wasn't able to go to the climate um, marches and climate protests, but I did think, well, I'm going to be sitting on Saturday and um, that this is also a form of offering to the world, um, a form of making ourselves peaceful, making ourselves um, bringing some stillness, some kindness um, into this energetic field. So I'd like to end with a, with a poem. Um, it's, it's dangerous to bring a book of poetry into having, you know, thinking about a talk, but I just wanted to sit there and read poems. So you'll have to... Uh, I, I hope this is in line with the themes of the day. This is William Stafford, um, who was, uh, some of you probably know who, who he was, but he was a poet who lived here in the American West, you know, Oregon, and um, he was a pacifist during World War II and was sent to a kind of camp or something. Um, and just this very quiet, very plain-spoken um, American poet, this certain kind of American, quiet American man, you know, of the 20th century. So, and he writes a lot about nature. And he, I don't know if he had a meditation practice, but his practice was was getting up very early in the morning, laying down on his sofa and writing a poem every day. And, and then he was once asked, what if, um, what if you don't come up with anything good? You know? And he said, I just lower my standards. <laughs> you know? And I think this is a very good approach to any kind of daily practice, including meditation practice. If we think, well, I, you know, I can't sit for an hour, so I might as well not sit. You know, something. You know, just sit on the sofa, sit on the ch- you know, cushion in the chair, and uh, lower our standards. So this is called Ask Me. Sometime when the river is ice, ask me, mistakes I have made. Ask me whether what I have done is my life. Others have come in their slow way into my thought, and some have tried to help or to hurt. Ask me what difference their strongest love or hate has made. I will listen to what you say. You and I can turn and look at the silent river and wait. We know the current is there, hidden, and there are comings and goings from miles away that hold the stillness exactly before us. What the river says, that is what I say. Maybe I read it again. called Ask Me. Sometime when the river is ice, 
Ask me mistakes I have made. Ask me whether what I have done is my life. Others have come in their slow way into my thought, and some have tried to help or to hurt. Ask me what difference their strongest love or hate has made. I will listen to what you say. You and I can turn and look at the silent river and wait. We know the current is there, hidden, and there are comings and goings from miles away that hold the stillness exactly before us. What the river says, that is what I say. I just love this image of a river. You know, maybe maybe one one accurate image for the self is the is is a river. It's a flowing river. And a river has um Comings and goings, a long river is, you know, twists and turns and moving. And so he's, he's there at this particular place where the river is ice. It's still, you know, it's silent. And, you know, so this is the self too. We have this side of us that is always moving, always changing. And then we have this aspect of ourselves that is so still, so empty, so silent. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe I'm getting too into this interpretation, but I'll say <laughs> the, the movement is our human nature. And the stillness, the silence is our Buddha nature. And they're all part of one river, different expressions of, of one being. Um, and so part of our practice is to kind of see the oneness of human and Buddha, that they're not separate. Thank you for being here, for your bringing your good hearts and um, just by 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 showing up here, it's an expression of our interbeing, our interconnectedness, and uh, yeah, very sweet to practice together. I, I want to let you go, uh, but 
we have a few minutes and I wonder if anyone would like to say anything, um, ask a question, make a comment, Sometimes after a day of practice, maybe it's, you want to stay stay in the silence, but um, just wanted to offer that invitation. Should we do some all night sitting? <laughs> know, in the Japanese temple, uh, during a time of intensive retreat, there's something called yaza, night sitting. And the only difference between day sitting and night sitting is there's no bells. So there's just one long, (laughs) and it's sort of optional, sort of not. Just now you distinguished between our human nature and our Buddha nature without necessarily saying that they were separate things, but <clears throat> but they sometimes seem to be. And this reminded me of a um, Sati Center daylong we had recently with a, a neuroscientist who was looking at the parallels between neuroscience and the Dharma. And I had a chance to ask the teacher, um, whose name I forget, um, I know, I can see how states such as greed or anger or hatred or anxiety or fear can be explained by Darwinian evolution, because our having those emotions or states in certain ways, help us to survive. And I can see how uh, states such as love and compassion and generosity can be explained by Darwinian evolution because they also help us to cooperate and live with each other and to survive. But what about letting go? The very deep, subtle, serene state, a quality of happiness that can be attained by by letting go. I didn't see how that can be explained by Darwinian evolution. I don't see the survival aspect of it. And I asked him, "Can you? do you understand that? And he said, no. So maybe that relates to our the difference between Buddha nature which seems to be unexplainable or mystical and all the rest, which I think I can understand. Well, any ideas? It reminds me of... uh, um, trying to remember exactly what the qu- 
I don't know if I, if if this is if this is a if an answer, but um, I sort of. In, in one sense, it's like, you know, there's a um, part of the exquisiteness of um, the, the kind of idea of Buddha nature is its uselessness, <laughs> in a way. It's not in the service of something in the world, you know, that we're trying to get. We're trying okay, to yes. Get it, you know. But that very uselessness is um, another another way of saying that is the perfection of everything exactly as it is, and so it's it's not so much like you know it's 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 way beyond a sort of Darwinian um, you know maybe I don't know but you know a Darwinian kind of survival thing. It's it's the fundamental ground. It's the nature of things that, as human beings, we complicate with our preferences and our you know all the things we do as human beings. But so I mean, I think about sometimes that's called the suchness, you know, the suchness of of of, of things. So um, so yeah, it's 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 a great observation. It's. It's totally useless, and it's totally what makes everything else possible. <laughs> you know, completely useless and completely indispensable. <laughs> I mean, it is a mystery to me. Yeah. I don't understand. I, I, I totally see that letting go leads to that kind of happiness. But, but... Uh, can't explain it. Well, I I think about it as as a kind of homecoming, as coming home. That it's a it's you know and sometimes you talk, it's a kind of return to our true home or our true nature. So, um, which I think we we know this. We have a kind of intuition of this. We had. I think everyone has experiences of this. We may not remember it, or we may not um, think about it that way. But, um, yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you for today, everyone. Um, I had a thought in reaction to what you just said um, that relates to the question I had, so I'll share that. Um, Growing up in Transcendental Meditation, they talked about the knower, the knowing, and the known in the Vedic tradition. And was really about the expression of the universe knowing itself. And when you talk about Darwinian evolution, that's about an individual species survival. But maybe, I don't know, but (laughs) maybe what we're talking about is not about the individual species, but actually about 
the universe knowing itself. Um, and the reason that pertains to the question or the, the thought I had was about interbeing and non-self. Um, my experience of non-self is almost like being a third party. Like the 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 knower, the something watching. So I can see my individual self, but I can also see being something else and watching the individual self. So less about direct connection with other people, though that mm-hmm. happens too. Less about like I'm you and you you me, but more like this kind of more general, vague other self, mm. non-self. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I mean, for me, I connected to what you said about the universe knowing itself. And so sometimes uh, a, uh, a um, it's quite amazing that here we are doing this kind of pretty simple kind of basic mindfulness practice, awareness practice. Um, but one way of understanding it is that the universe is waking up to itself through us. You know? And I think, and that can be experienced like a diamond, you know, in so many different facets, different ways. And so in one, in one sense, there may be this feeling of, like you said, this kind of observer. And, but in, in another way, it's like there's, um, there's no separation. It's total, total oneness, you know. And they're kind of, di- you know, um, maybe different, different, different portals into, uh, into this. Um, Thank you. Did you have? Did I see a hand over here, or was that my? Okay. Okay. Come in. I just want to say thank you for today. Yeah, thank you. And um, may whatever goodness, uh, wholesomeness, uh, merit uh, that uh, comes about from our time together, our practice together, uh, we can dedicate this to the welfare, um, safety, well-being, liberation of all beings. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be happy. Thank you.